Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. I'm Jillian, and today I'm so excited to be sharing a conversation that I recently had with an internet friend who is also a coach, also very, very invested in supporting women with their body image and finding balance between fitness, nutrition, and life. So today you're going to hear a conversation between me and my friend Jess Heiss, I am so excited for you to listen to this. I listened to it back and was just sitting there like, wow. It was a really, it's a powerful conversation. And I want to give a quick life update and a couple like housekeeping things about the podcast before we hop in. So first of all, I am trying and playing around with posting the podcast on Tuesdays just to see how that works for everybody. If you love it, let me know. If you don't love it, also let me know. Um, I've noticed that There seems to be a few more people that listen when I post it on Tuesdays rather than Mondays. So I'm wondering if maybe just Mondays we're like not ready to jump into some of this stuff yet. And I wanted to give just a little bit of a life update around something that I've been thinking about a lot. And so a topic that's been coming up a lot with my clients is something around food habituation. And essentially, if you want to know more about this, I think episode 56, I talk a lot about it. But essentially food habituation is in like simple terms is showing yourself that eating all foods is no big deal, right? And so for example, I have a client that feels, you know, she shouldn't be eating candy or she shouldn't be eating chocolate. And so one of the things that we're working on with food habituation is showing herself that eating chocolate or eating candy is no big deal. Because often what happens is when we don't eat the thing or we restrict the thing, that's when we find ourselves feeling really out of control around whatever food that is. So recently, last week, I made myself a batch of brown butter chocolate chip cookies. I've been dying to bake, just been really wanting to bake recently. And I made these cookies and it was so interesting because I really thought about how impactful it is to have a food around that you don't often have around and what happens to your mind when you think about that. For me, at the beginning, I thought about I I realized like okay my past behaviors with this food would have been to eat a ton of the cookie dough as soon as the cookies came out I would have I would have had to try one out of the uh out of the oven and then I would have ended up eating like two or three throughout the day no sorry more than that I ended up eating two cookies and in the past it probably would have been somewhere like three or four and it would have taken a lot of quote-unquote self-control to keep myself away from them In doing this, like how important it is to offer yourself reassurance around food. And that reassurance is really hard to offer yourself of like, hey, Jillian, you can eat chocolate chip cookies whenever you want. It's really hard to actually believe it when you secretly are telling yourself like, yeah, but I'm not actually going to let myself eat them when I want. And so part of doing that, and if you have any questions on on how this works, I'm happy to answer them, but part of getting yourself to habituate to certain foods is really about believing that if you want more, you will allow yourself to eat more. So that's all I'm going to say on that because I just thought it was an interesting sort of realization from my life alongside things that I'm working on with my nutrition coaching clients. And with that... So Jess and I get really deep in this conversation. We talk about everything from childhood experiences and how they affected our body image story to digging into our first experiences dieting to change our bodies. So you're going to hear a lot of personal stuff here. And of course, we touch on core values and what the process of actually shifting your relationship with food and body image actually looks like. 
please go ahead and pretend that you are having a coffee or going on a walk with us and let's get into it. If you want to learn more about coaching, if you want to connect with me on Instagram, please check out the show notes and you can find Jess on Instagram at Jess, J-E-S-S dot Heiss, H-E-I-S-S. Also, we'll link that in the show notes. And if you want to listen to her podcast, it's called the Sturdy Girl Podcast. If you love this podcast, you are going to also really love hers. So with that, go ahead and enjoy this conversation between me and Jess. You know those memories that you have that are sort of like half formed where yeah. you like have like flashes? And so I have this memory of being in a high school classroom or something that it was a Weight Watchers meeting with my mom. And so like I was born, I don't know if I'm an elder millennial or if I'm right in the middle. I was born in 87. Okay. And so Yeah, yeah, you're like- you're an elder millennial because I was born in 90 and I'm considered an elder millennial. So what? I don't know. <laughs> All right, whatever. I'm an elder millennial. I guess I'll own that. And so this was the early 90s and I was homeschooled. So my mom would like take me everywhere with her. And that was, oh, <laughs> homeschool kids. Um, we'll probably have to touch on that later. I, I agree. Yeah. Social I'm skills. Inter- yeah. Social skills. I'm a big nerd. Probably why I like science fiction and fantasy so much. Because yeah. it's just like creating whole worlds because mm-hmm. I wasn't exposed to like being with other kids in kindergarten really. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Exciting. Anyway, continue um, story. Sorry to yeah. interrupt. <laughs> no, no worries. So my mom passed away when I was nine. And this is like kind of come out in like stories when I talked to my grandmother before she passed and stories that my dad would tell me. It came out that my mom had struggled with her weight her entire life. And I was this like four-year-old kid. I didn't have any idea. So I would do all these fun things like go out to lunch with my mom and go to frozen yogurt and have those amazing memories. But also I have this very distinct memory of going and my mom got on a scale because I think at Weight Watchers, you used to have to get on the scale and weigh yourself like in front of everybody. Yeah. That is a shame trigger. Yeah, I think so. There's a show. I only watched a couple episodes, but This Is Us, which was a really big show. And they show one of the characters who's in a larger body. And she went to, I don't know if it was overeaters or like one of those things. And they weighed them in in public too. I remember seeing that. And it was funny because watching that episode of that show kind of triggered that memory of like, oh my God, I saw this happen. And so it's like, okay, it makes so much sense why as I got older and then at some point I started fixating on this very specific weight number. Yeah. Going to those meetings at four years old, like were those, those are some of your earliest memories. Yeah, but it was so interesting. And I've done a lot of thinking about this because I actually launched my first body image coaching program three years ago. And I didn't yet have the education or the experience, like an understanding the psychology behind it and all of that to like actually make it as effective as I wanted to. Then this year I launched another one and it's completely different. But as I was like delving into all of the content, when I developed both of those programs, it was so interesting because I started to really understand the connection between, hey, we've been told all of our lives that food is this thing that is supposed to be enjoyable. You're supposed to be carefree. It's like fun and pleasure and all of this, but it's also this thing that is meant to be a tool to control our bodies. And so it's no wonder that we all have these very on and off huge pendulum swings from like, fuck it. I just want to enjoy what I eat to like, oh my God, I need to heavily control everything that goes in my body. Because even as a kid, I remember going with my mom to restaurants and I would always get the grilled cheese and French fries and we'd enjoy food together and she loved desserts. But then it was also the flip side of it was she was constantly on a diet, which as a four-year-old, I couldn't fully imagine. 
but I do have that memory of the Weight Watchers thing. So it's wild because from a young age, we're, we're fed two very distinct messages. Yeah. Did she ever say anything to you about food or was this just more like your observation? I wish that I knew the answer to that because I think a lot of it, I was just too young to fully grasp. Yeah. But like I have these memories of so many holidays where we would bake sugar cookies and I'd be on the counter eating cookie dough. And, and my dad was very much always the like, sugar is bad for you. Like sugar is going to make you fat. Sugar is going to kill you. And my mom was very much like, we need to enjoy food. Like food is pleasure. But also she secretly had, I guess not so secretly, I was just too young to get it. But she also had this other side that was like, but I need to control what I eat yeah. because my body isn't good enough. And then yeah. after my mom passed and then my dad, of course, was like the main parent. And he grew up in a very fat phobic household and was like overly obsessed with quote unquote health foods yeah. and would be like, no, you can't drink soda. That stuff's going to kill you and criticizing overweight people on the street. So yeah, lots of crazy stuff going on there. And I know the sad thing is this story sounds extreme and makes so much sense why I had body image issues, but it's also not unique. Like no, so I was going to say, it like doesn't, this, uh, this tracks with other people's body image stories that I've heard. Mm hmm and it's something mm. too, you know, you're talking about doing the research for your course, doing the research for the podcast for me was looking at research on positive body image and finally understanding that positive body image definition wasn't what I thought it was because social media kind of took over positive body image and pink washed everything. I love that term. That's the, the easiest way I can think to explain it because it's like positive body image is an opposite of negative body image. And just looking at all of the research and looking at people breaking down what their body image stories and you know how like you go to therapy and you talk through things in therapy that are big like with your mom passing away or with all these big traumatic things or something that happened in elementary school or middle school or whatever and you're talking through all these like life-changing things and then when you go back and you look at your childhood from a frame of body image it brings up such different things such specific experiences that people are like oh my God, that's why I still can't put creamer in my coffee. This is why I still fear eating bagels. Those things that don't tend to come to mind and you realize those are the experiences that help shape you or when, you know, so-and-so said in elementary school that this was really bad for you and you still took that with you into your adult life. Yeah, like totally. It's wild the things that you latch onto as a kid or in those like formative years. Yeah. And you realize I have been avoiding like this brand of bread because someone told me it was higher calorie than that one. And I don't even know if that's true. So for me, a decade ago, maybe a little over, when I first got into running, I was really into health food, right? Of like, what do you call it? Clean eating. I was a clean yeah. eater, you know? It's like fruits and veggies and you just shoot anything that wasn't that, right? And it was just this whole thing. I remember being so proud of myself. And I'm pretty sure this was an Instagram post at some point. We could like scroll back in the archives and find it. And it was like 10 random facts about me. And one of them was I've never eaten white bread. And I was like, and so it's like a proud thing. Yeah, right? it was like a point of pride. Like I don't eat white bread. No, if I'm going to eat bread, it's going to have lots of fiber and grains. And it was just so cringy to think back on that. That wasn't even that long ago. That wasn't even like childhood shaping. It was adult life. This was, oh, I'm making healthy choices. No. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think here is like 
hearing all of these stories, it's like, yes, we could dig into every single individual one, but then we want to also be able to see somehow if I work on my body image, like how do I actually see a change in how I feel about myself in a relatively short period of time? Because that I think is the challenging thing because we could go back with a fine tooth comb and look at every single instance of some comment or something that got me to where I am. But it's also like, and this is maybe a controversial opinion. And I think that if you want to go back and overanalyze everything, it's fine. But also so much of this stuff, I think we can move past it when we actually really delve into a practice of self-compassion. Absolutely. Self-compassion has been something in every single episode so far. It was like three tips to improve confidence, three tips to improve your body image and self-confidence is like star, star, star on everyone. I agree. I think that there is some importance in reflecting on how did I get here? Not in the the intensity of going to therapy and working through traumatic events, right? But in in the context of understanding like oh, I do actually fear that food. Oh, I've actually been avoiding that. I was thinking about that. I have my coffee in hand and I was like, I like drinking black coffee. And as I'm sitting there thinking about it, I'm like, well, years ago, I guess I used to drink coffee with creamer in it. And then I was thinking about the people that I know that are like, oh no, I only drink black coffee, but they don't actually like black coffee. It's because yeah. they like fear the calories that go into creamer. I think that there's value in learning that and to also help you figure out your why. I think that there is a piece of that to understanding yourself, but I agree. I don't think you need to nitpick everything and go through experience by experience, but it does play into like, for me growing up, my mom was anorexic for 20 plus years and I would say she's in recovery now but that was my growing up was she weighed herself three times a day always had a full face of makeup on was very very particular about her food and I have two sisters and like my mom and my two sisters were always very thin naturally and I'm more curvy and always have been and so it always made for these like body shaped comments towards me growing up so that helped me to kind of reflect back on like Oh, this was the lens with which food was shaped was having a parent that was going through an active eating disorder. I cannot imagine how challenging that must have been and also how confusing. Very. Because you probably noticed a lot of things and you're like, is this really what I'm noticing? Yeah. Like grandma would take us to fast food every once in a while and you're like, don't tell mom. Oh my God. It was a whole thing. We had a huge garden. And when we go to the grocery store, it was always fresh fruits and vegetables, all of your whole grains. And if we had any packaged food at all, hidden underneath the vegetables on the grocery belt. I think that for me, when I realized later on my whole obsession with clean eating, and I'm like, oh, that's just kind of what continued from when I was a kid. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Because I think about this a lot, sort of like when I became aware that controlling my food could control my body, because that sort of was the like spark that led down a road of essentially like, I actively was dieting in some way, what we refer to as like a diet mindset, pretty consistently for about 11 years, except for like a short period where I was traveling. And even part of that, I still had a diet mindset because I was convinced that I needed to be gluten-free because I thought gluten was unhealthy. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. And so I remember when I realized, oh my gosh, if I control what I eat, I can also control my body. And if I control my body, I can to a certain extent, hopefully control other people's perceptions of me. When did you notice? Or can you pinpoint? That's a great question. I don't know when I necessarily could 
pinpoint that. I think pinpointing that in two parts. First one was probably like eighth grade and we had this is gonna sound kind of woo and weird and this is just I, a, okay I, a I, was, I was raised by people who's literally like their name was Chelsea and they're like my name is Fern now that was my upbringing excellent I was raised <laughs> homeschooled and a Jehovah's Witness so okay all right <laughs> you, you same some, same but different yeah yeah so my mom was very anti-doctor and she totally listens to this podcast I'm like I love you mom I really do but my childhood upbringing was weird but it made us the colorful humans that we it are today did. You know, exactly. That is like all the experiences. There's no animosity towards any of these things. There's no negative. Like you learn from it. I was 13 and we had moved into a new house about a year prior and we were all having very random colds and sinus issues and all of these things and we found black mold in the house. So we had to get rid of the black mold in the house and as a part of that, it was like, oh, black mold is in your system so we need to go on a diet. Okay. And that was my personal first introduction to like an actual diet Be beyond like seeing my mom's struggles. That was when I got introduced to rice cakes. That's when oh I got God. introduced to like, oh, well, let's not eat Ritz crackers. Let's eat Triscuits because they're whole grain. Let's focus on these things. And then it was like, actually, we're going to cut out gluten. Actually, we're going to cut out all white flour. Actually, we're going to cut out, you know, like let's have all these yes and no foods and help you feel better. I lost weight doing this diet. Now the diet wasn't supposed to be to lose weight. It was to clear the black mold from my body. But I remember being like, oh my gosh, my jeans are loose. And other people had made comments about how I look different. And I'm like, food makes my body look different. That was like the turning point was doing this eight week diet or whatever to get rid of black mold and then realizing like, oh, okay. It's wild because I think that probably so many people listening can relate to this is that like the slippery slope into diet, and I don't want to say diet culture because I feel like that word now is thrown around so much. It's becoming kind of buzzwordy. Yeah, it is becoming very buzzwordy. I feel like the slippery slope from health into how do I control my body, it's really blurry where the line is. Because for me, it was like in college, I realized I was like, I'm living on all food that is beige because it was the first time that I was out of my dad's house and I didn't have anyone telling me that sugar was going to kill me. So I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to live off of Starbucks coffee cake if I want to. I remember in my freshman year of college, someone worked at, at Starbucks and gifted us like an entire tray of Starbucks coffee cake. And that was literally all I ate for like five days. College <laughs> life. Oh my gosh. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then I realized this might not be healthy. I should maybe eat some vegetables. And it was the first time I actually got to choose if I ate vegetables or not, instead of them being forced on me. Mm -hmm. And so I started experimenting and I was like, oh, I don't dislike them. I actually just didn't like people telling me what to do. Like my dad trying to force it down my throat. And so it was the first time I could really make autonomous decisions about what I ate. I started eating more fruits and vegetables. And I also noticed, oh my gosh, I remember one day. I was like wearing an outfit that had fit me and all of a sudden I put the shorts on and they were like falling off and I was like wait a minute this is how like wow and it went into like at one point all I ate I would just eat like five bananas a day and it wasn't like it wasn't consciously a diet thing it was just like I have connected eating vegetables and fruit makes me thin and I like that and that is healthy and that went down the slippery slope of like okay well how do I actually continue to do this? And I got really into all these fitness blogs and like the mommy lifestyle bloggers. There was so many that I followed yeah. and they would post every week. They would post their what I eat in a day. 
right? And I would like compare what I ate in a day to them and I'd look at their body type. That was the first thing that got the wheels turning of like, how do I find the perfect diet to get my body to look like the way I never could? Because I got bullied for my weight. I got made fun of. When I was 15, my dad asked me if I was pregnant once. I was like, what are you even talking about? Just like wild stuff that like oh poor, poor teenage me. And then it's like, I'm sure that you probably have a similar point where it went from kind of dabbling and like, how do I find the right diet to like, I'm going to hardcore do it. Yeah. From that portion of being a teenager and that initial dabbling into diving in was I ended up having a crush on a, a guy who was vegetarian and like, nothing wrong with being vegetarian or vegan, but I 100% became vegetarian because I realized it could allow me to control what I ate even more mm. with a label on it. So people understood. Yeah. It yeah. was such an interesting foray. And I mean, that lasted three or four years. That's so funny. I was vegetarian for a couple of years too. And then at one point I remember smelling chicken and being like, I want to eat that. And I just yeah. ate it. And yeah. I was like, I guess I'm not vegetarian anymore. That was exactly what happened to me too. I don't know, three or four years. I don't remember how many exactly. And we were grilling chicken outside. And I'm like, oh my God, that smells really good. <laughs> okay, I'm going to eat it. So I have a question. I don't know if you've covered this on the podcast before, but- I know that sturdy girl came from like your uncle making a comment about you being like a sturdy girl. Mm -hmm. And where were you in your body image at that moment? And how did that comment make you feel? At that moment, I was in a pretty good place. I will say I spent about a decade running. I ran everything from 5Ks to 50Ks. Like full disclosure, my body image space when I first started running was when I run, I can control my body. That was also the second part to the whole, when did you realize you could equate food with controlling your body was in my early 20s, I was having some very weird health issues and decided to do like an elimination diet, take things out and then add back in and see how they affected things. And it was like, oh, I have a gluten intolerance. Oh, I shouldn't be having dairy. Oh, I shouldn't whatever. And cut everything out except fruits, veggies and lean protein and then had some beans and some nuts. But that was my like clean eating episode, right? And went into that. But that was also when I started running. So you have this mindset of like, well, runners need to be smaller. And I spent a lot of time in that space and started really working on body image stuff a few years into that running journey. In 2020, I pivoted pretty hard and went from, I ran a 50K and then the next week I hired a powerlifting coach. So it was just a like, right turn. And I'd lifted for years, but not serious heavy lifting or anything. And powerlifting was probably the best thing I ever did for my body image. There is some really interesting research that I have to admit, I have not read. <laughs> I saw it came out and I was like, I gotta read that on how power of powerlifting's effect on body image, because it is so function based. Yeah. And yet at the same time, it's like very function based, but it's also a weight class sport. And so it's like, it's a, it is a mind fuck. Yeah. It is such I a Olympic weightlifted for a while and it was probably one of the darkest times for my body image maybe ever. And that's something too that if I oh God, I try to think as little as I can about the weight classes to be honest with you but the rest of powerlifting I mean it was fantastic but as far as that lunch with my great uncle like making the comment about my body, I was in a decent place. I will say that I went from running 40-ish miles a week on average to taking it down to running 10 to 15 miles a week and powerlifting. And I love powerlifting, but my body changed. It's that both and of I loved powerlifting, I loved getting stronger, 
but my clothes started to fit differently. The eating requirements shifted a little bit from running. Running will, like, your body will scream at you that you are hungry. The hunger cues from running are so much different than the hunger cues from strength training. And so, personally, I mean, it, research says also, but, like, personally, for me, it was hard to understand the fueling and, like, figure that piece out for myself. But the body changed, and I was used to getting closer to having a quote-unquote runner's body and then to start strength training and suddenly I'm like oh my god my scrubs like scrubs are meant to be loose my scrubs are tight oh I'm gaining muscle in my shoulders and my back to the point that I have to go up a size in my scrub tops and that piece of it and when that happened for me was when I was actively working through like I'm okay with my body changing I'm getting stronger I love what I'm doing I am metabolically healthy but still that piece of I look in the mirror and I don't see the same body that I saw a year prior yeah. And, and no one really teaches us like in a real way. I think a lot of us say it and maybe see it on the internet. Well, I hope we see it on the internet. I'm realizing that we're very much in like a tiny little echo chamber and there is a lot of craziness on the internet that we just don't see it because you and I are in this bubble of people that kind of get it, but there's still some fucking wild stuff out just there. Just get on TikTok. Just get on TikTok and search anything and yeah. you end up down that rabbit hole of like, there are still so many crazies in this space. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're never taught that bodies are meant to change. That similarly to like, you learn new things and your brain changes and you now have new skills that you didn't have before. Like your body also changes. And there's very much this rhetoric of like, you're supposed to find this ideal body and then somehow just like preserve it forever. That doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, if you think about it, you wouldn't expect your relationship with your partner to stay the same forever. No. You wouldn't expect like, your hair to stay exactly the same forever. But the somehow is, we expect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, nothing is static like that. It's insane to think about how much that is indirectly ingrained in us that we can achieve the perfect body or the dream body or the whatever and get to that point and then it's just going to stay and you're going to stay yeah, that way forever. Exactly. I know we are going down so many rabbit holes here, but there's also this very much false belief that you're going to get your quote unquote, ideal body. And then all of a sudden, everything's going to be great. You're going to reach this goal, weight, goal, body, goal, physique, whatever. And your insecurities that you've held all of your life that are probably something that started in childhood because of what you saw your parents do, or because of getting bullied in high school, or because of reading 17 magazine and like seeing all these completely unrealistic body types is like, you're going to get this like quote unquote, ideal body. And then all of a sudden, all of those insecurities, those are just gone, right? Think about movies. Think about how many movies were like, they changed their face or their body or their whatever. And then they got the perfect life and the perfect guy. Yeah. Well, like, also, I love the Princess it's, Diaries it's... growing up. Like yeah. I read all the My books. My grandpa is in movie. that movie, by the way. Who Sorry. Is? That's so random. My grandpa's in that movie. That's awesome. <laughs> so, but you think about that, they gave her a makeover and then suddenly she looked like a princess. Yeah. You, yeah. You think about how many movies there are about making people change their bodies and then their life got better. Yeah. And as millennials, like that is what we grew up with. We grew up with the skinny, good looking girl. Like she was the one that got the super hot muscular dude. And all she needed was to not wear glasses or not have braces or like all of a sudden she started working out and lost weight. And mm -hmm. even like Mean Girls, one of my favorite movies ever, one of the things that they do to make Regina George like not hot anymore is feed her so that she gains weight. Yep. <laughs> like, what the fuck? 
I love that movie so much. I know, but it's one of those things that when we think about it, like I would imagine that probably a great bulk of the people listening are millennials, like whether you're elder millennials like me or younger millennials, like other people that are younger than us, (laughs) you probably were exposed in a huge amount to the TV shows, to the movies, to the magazines. And I think this is where like go like circling back to the self-compassion conversation, we need to be really clear that self-compassion is not just being like, it's okay that I don't need to change my body. So I'm just going to eat donuts all day. Like that is absolutely not it. But I think that especially for millennial women, we have a very big misunderstanding of what it means to practice self-compassion. And we also were brought up with this idea of like, we need to be super hard on ourselves in order to shape our bodies because that will get us what we want. I agree. And it's one of those things that self-compassion, it's not giving up. It's not saying like, oh, well, I'm trying to be compassionate towards myself. And that means, oh, I'm just not going to work out or I'm just going to eat all the foods. It's like, no, the self-compassion piece is taking care of you. It's making sure you're making the best decision for your entire being. And it amazes me too when I think about for myself and my fitness journey, like if you will, I'm just say fitness loosely, something like powerlifting, lifting, running, all of those yeah. things. So much of that journey was that I have to be disciplined. I have to be motivated, like no days off. I was reflecting back on it at one point. I was dating a guy who was a total like meathead and end up getting super shredded and super low carb diet stuff. But I feel like I, we all have one of those in our past. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it taught me so many things. I was lifting six days a week. I was running four to five days a week. Oh my God. 30 to 40 miles. And I was eating a hundred grams of carbs a day. Oh my God. I'm surprised you didn't break something. I really am too. I mean, I guess, well, never mind. Did you have shin splints like crazy? I got a stress fracture in my right tibia. Absolutely not surprised at all. But it was always like, oh, I'm so disciplined. I'm so motivated. And I'm so proud of myself for being so motivated and getting up early on Saturday and Sunday, both for my runs and like, yeah. Well, but here's the thing is like, I just wrote a post about this today that it it was about like, we need to stop normalizing all of these things that are actually not normal. We are glorifying the like, I need to work super hard. I need to be more disciplined. I need to be super consistent. We glorify this so much that there's no space left for context. And also two things can exist. Like For some people, macro tracking is not a path to disordered eating. For other people, macro tracking is a direct route to disordered eating. But I hear like the nuance is not, I think one, it's not well understood by the individuals that are guiding people there. And two, I think that there's not a lot of understanding on how to gauge, is this the right decision for me right now at this point in time? Yep. I just signed on a a client recently and we had this conversation because they were like, I want to run, I want to lift, I want to work on my nutrition, I want to work on my body image, I want all the things, all the change, all the right now. And at this point, the person was doing none of those things. So the excitement and the readiness to change, right? We can go back to talking about like stages of change. The readiness to change and the excitement for that piece, that's all you need. (laughs) to get started and then it was like all right how do we narrow this down and focus on one thing at a time let's break down the nutrition piece let's have a lot more conversations around that to decide where we're starting with that 
where are we at with that? So that we're not giving you structured macro tracking if, because that was like the first suggestion was like, let's track macros. And it's like, that's not the place to start because we don't know if that's a trigger or not. Where do you go from there? But then when you have to be like, hey, you want to go from doing nothing fitness wise or nutrition wise, I say nothing. It makes me feel bad, but like there's no focus on any of those things to I want to run and lift and do nutrition. And I'm like, okay, okay, sorry, but no, my answer is no. <laughs> we have to take it one thing at a time. Yeah. And I feel like as a coach, one of the really challenging things is how do we harness this motivation to want to do things and also balance that with really clear expectations of what it looks like to build a skill. And anyone that follows me on Instagram or has heard any of my podcasts or anything knows that skill building is probably the thing that I talk about the most. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, I think, when it comes to food and our body comes from this idea of like, I should know how to do this stuff already. So I should be able to go through it really quickly, right? Yep. It's like, oh, I hire a coach for nutrition, but like, I should know how to eat. I've been eating my whole life. I should be able to figure this out super quickly. And it's actually, if we look at it, any skill, if we look at it, like learning a language, like even if you've like, lived in Germany for six months, you would not go to one German class and expect to have a full conversation in German. And you wouldn't expect to have a husband who speaks fluent French and go to France multiple times and actually think you can speak French. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And this is where I think it can be really, really frustrating. And again, we go back to the self-compassion piece because it's like, when you believe that I should know how to do this already, that takes brain space and energy from I'm learning how to do this. It doesn't matter whether I should or should not. It literally doesn't matter because you don't. If we can accept that you're you setting yourself up for the frustration piece. Exactly. You're setting yourself up for instead of like, I'm curious enough to go into building this skill. I want to learn. It's like, why can't I do this? And then you get into that shame piece. You guilt yourself. You look at suddenly instead of being excited or whatever, if it's focusing on the nutrition piece, and you're like, why am I doing this, right? You come full circle. I love the thought of skill building. I find that when I coach clients, a lot of the time, it's easier to understand concepts when you can kind of like frame it into something that they understand. I talk about values all the time. And I think that actually values are an incredible tool for changing your body image. And for me, that was a huge catalyst was understanding like, well, what do I actually value? What's actually important to me? And I realized I'm not doing a lot of the things that are important to me because my entire personality is macro tracking and CrossFit, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so here, I think where, when we look at like one of the examples that I use for values is when clients are first understanding like the skill of making values aligned decisions is I'll talk about it like, like shoes, like you have certain shoes that work for certain occasions. You have some shoes that you like better, some shoes that you like less, but sometimes you'll put on a pair of shoes just because it really makes sense for like the thing that you're doing, right? Yeah, yeah. And here, this is like trying out values-aligned decision-making. You might try on a pair of shoes and be like, I don't know if they go with this outfit, but I'm going to give it a try, right? And you don't beat yourself up because you chose the wrong shoes one time. You're just like, next time I'm not going to wear these. Yep. But some people do beat themselves up. They're like, I chose the wrong shoes. I look terrible. Everybody's judging me. That is not, that doesn't actually help you make a different decision. That no. just makes you feel bad for the decision that you made, which you already made the decision. You can't do anything about it. I like that. And I love the values-based living. That's something too that I have conversations with clients a lot in regards to like, we're training for a race. 
you're getting ready to run a half marathon and you have kids and over the weekend you got in most of your long run but realized you were out of time because you had to make it to your kid's soccer game. You feel guilty because you didn't get in all of your mileage and you're beating yourself up because you don't feel like you're going to be prepared for the race, you know, and you go into this spiral of like, I didn't complete my planned runs perfectly. And so then it comes back to the conversation of what are your values? One of your biggest values in life is family. And you were there for your kid's soccer game because that is what is most important to you. Missing a mile and a half off of your long run is not going to make or break your training. There is nothing you need to change. There's nothing you would have done differently. If you pull back and pull out of like, I didn't execute perfectly on my training plan this week and look at what's most important to you when you put your number one value is family and the second one is connection. What are you doing? you are living your values-based life. Like that is the most important thing. And it has become such a cornerstone of coaching is having those conversations because at first I don't set it up necessarily for any education around values. It just comes up naturally through through coaching, right? And so at first like clients are like, my values? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, what are you talking yeah. about? Like their first thought, especially if they've worked in corporate before is like mission, business vision, values. values, like that yeah. kind of thing. And they're like, corporate? What? <laughs> it's so funny because I, I was actually just talking to a friend of mine about this because for me, it's very much like a pillar for my life. And this was understanding values. I genuinely believe was like one of the big things, like a, a few different components of my life that got me out of the cycle that I was in with food and fitness and all of that. There were two main things. One was like, One was values and recognizing that like, I'm not living in alignment with my values at all because all I'm ever thinking about is how I look. And then the second thing was also having people to talk to about it. And I actually just got this question recently on Instagram. It was like, how did you do it? And I talk about it a lot, but I guess I never really went into the fact that like I had two other female coach friends who were going through the exact same thing I was going through. We got to talk about recovering our periods together. We got to talk about letting go of macro tracking. We got to talk about like, hey, I used to be obsessed with peanut butter and now this is how I'm building it in. So I don't feel like I have to eat the entire jar anymore. And that is why I chose to do body image coaching as a group, because having people to talk to about the things that felt really challenging and knowing that other people thought the same thing was so fucking powerful. I love that. And I love that you had people going through it at the same time. They're so awesome. And it's unique because most people don't have that opportunity, but that's why I think as coaches, we can create that. And so it's like, I'll get people that are like, no, I would rather do one-on-one. And I'm like, you don't know how much more powerful and probably better this experience can go if you open yourself up to speaking to other people Um, about it. Even if you start like with the least triggering things to share, I see this in my nutrition. So I have the Confident Eater, which is like my food mindset program. And I see the group and how they're interacting. And it's like understanding that someone else is going through something very similar to you can be motivating for both of you. Well, isn't that one of the parts of the definition of self-compassion is like, yeah, common humanity, knowing that you're not alone in your struggles and your experiences. Yeah. And I think that one of the biggest factors for staying stuck in a cycle of negative body image or disordered eating or even eating disorders, like one of the things that perpetuates the cycle is feeling like I don't have anybody that can understand what I'm going through. And also I'm ashamed to share because there must be something wrong with me. Yeah. I'm like just nodding my head over here. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) All of it. Yeah. I mean, I think probably if anybody takes away anything from this, 
it would be to explore the idea that self-compassion is not necessarily going easy on yourself, but you might need to be going a little bit easier on yourself to move forward in a way. Yeah, that you, you can't about. hate yourself into change. Yeah, but the pro- and here's the or thing: shame like, yourself into a motivation. I, th- I think so many people would co- uh, like completely agree 100 with that statement, and also be like, "Yeah, but I don't know any other way." Yeah, and so they can be like, "Yeah, I I know that I can't, but I also like don't have any other like tool or skill to use in in this case." And because this is it's, where it's like it's such that all ahead. or nothing, right? It's either like I'm disciplined and I'm motivated and I'm pushing myself or it's I'm going to sit and eat the whole bag of chips in in, in one sitting. Yeah, which is also not self-compassionate because like your future self is probably not sitting there being like, I'm so glad I ate that entire bag of chips. My body feels so great right now. Like maybe sometimes you do feel good eating the whole bag of chips. Maybe you're like, oh my gosh, I'm traveling. I don't have access to food and eating the whole bag of chips is like the self-compassionate decision because it's either I eat the whole bag of chips or I don't eat anything, Mm -hmm. right? likely eating a handful of chips and then be like, you know what? If I want some more later, I'll have some more later. That's yeah. probably in most cases, the more self-compassionate decision. Yep. And that's another skill to build. I love that it's come back to self-compassion because that has come up in every single episode of the podcast so far. I think the common humanity element is like really, really important when it comes to body image, because the fact of the matter is even though like you, your body and my body probably look totally different. But like the thing that we have in common is like our bodies are different and that's normal, right? And so it's like, we feel like I need to look like this person. Like this person runs and lifts. I want to look like that person. And part of the self-compassion piece is recognizing that your body and her body can do similar things and they will never look the same. And that's a good thing. Absolutely. And I think that to the common humanity piece is really important because we have media of all types that show you what the, I want to say common humanity, but what we're supposed to look like or what everyone else looks like, everyone else, like air quotes, looks like. So when you can form connections with other people who are working on their body image in a healthy way and you are able to connect and say, we are working towards similar goals, but we look completely different. It helps you explore the idea of what a healthy body image looks like what a healthy relationship with yourself looks like because that's something too that I keep coming back to in every episode it's not just body image it's how you think and feel about your appearance but it's also looking at your relationship with yourself because that's 100%. right that's guiding your decisions in nutrition in how you take care of your body how you feed yourself how you move your body how you think about your body how you talk about your body what kind of relationship do you have with yourself and that just comes full circle So I have to hop off in a minute, but there are two things. One, it has to do with the celebrity thing. And then one other thing about how powerful, like changing or working on your body image can be. So there was a post that I saw on Instagram a couple of months ago, and it was like, Megan Fox comes out and says that she hates her body or like is insecure about her body or whatever. Something about Megan Fox having bad body image. And like, if you're listening and you don't know who Megan Fox is, you would see a photo of her and she is sort of like the idealized body standard, right? Mm -hmm. Like big boobs, flat stomach, looks fit, claims she never works out, whatever. That's not the point. The point is, is in the comments of that post were people being like, this is bullshit. Like, there's no way this is true. She's just making it up. If she has bad body image, there's no chance for the rest of us. And I dove into the comments and I, and I left a very lengthy comment being like, look, this is actually something that we need to realize that body image and appearance are not related. You could look at someone that you think is objectively gorgeous and what is going on in their heads as far as their own body image, maybe not not congruent 
whatsoever. Yes. And so this is where I think part of like going back to that common humanity piece is we need to remember that everybody, what's going on outside, what's going on inside is very different. And we cannot assume that when you look at someone, they believe like you could look at someone that you think is horribly ugly or someone that you think is incredibly attractive. And what is going on in their own heads as far as their body image is likely not what you expect. Nope. Someone's outward appearance has nothing to do with yeah. what goes on in the head. That's But I it. think we have this belief of like, yeah, but if my outward appearance was better, my body image would be better. And that's where it's like we have we end up with this it's two separate oh, things. Sorry, no, no, I was yeah. just gonna say it's two separate things. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's body image and it's physical appearance. They're they're you know, they're obviously like our own body image and our appearance get they're right. That's what body image is. But like working on your body image is a mental thing. Working on your appearance as a physical, right? So it's 100%. two separate things. So yeah, improving your, your appearance or your body is not going to improve your body image. You have but to work on the mental Improving your body image can improve how you feel about your appearance, which yeah. is like, I'm sure you've said that on every single podcast. Yeah. But the point that I wanted to make that I think was really interesting for me is I thought that I had social anxiety. I'm a fairly outgoing person. I have my introvert moments like an introverted extrovert, you never know what you're going to get really. But for a period of like three or four years, I believed that I had social anxiety, like actually was telling people, oh yeah, I have social anxiety. I didn't realize until I started actually doing specific work on my body image that my social anxiety was tied to how preoccupied with my appearance I was. So now I can easily go into a situation in which I do not know people or I don't necessarily feel comfortable around people and I can still have a really good time in the situation. And so much of that is attributed to the fact that I am no longer sitting there wondering what other people think about my looks that's amazing it's wild it's something for people to consider too that will go into situations feeling like they have social anxiety and you wonder how much of that is tied to how do I look I do know people that like it's not related I have a friend who has generalized anxiety and oh, her social yeah. anxiety didn't necessarily change when she worked on her body image. But for me specifically, as someone who does not have generalized anxiety, <laughs> like that was just a manifestation of insecurities. The beautiful thing about that is like, it's not some chemical imbalance in my brain. It is literally like, I can change what I think, feel, do, and believe about my body. And in doing so, I get to change my experience in the world. That's really powerful and something that I don't think is considered often enough that working on the skill building of improving your body image legitimately can improve your life and the way that you experience the world. 100%. I think that's really I good. I have to go to improv to class. Go you. <laughs> that is awesome. I was going to say this is probably a really good place to wrap things up. Blake, a couple years, my husband did improv class and I went to like their performance or whatever. Just props. It's it's so fun. It's like, it's so fun. And it's also, it's so interesting because it's one of those things that like, I knew that I wanted to get back into it because I did it when I lived in San Francisco and I put it off and I put it off and I put it off because I was worried about how it would affect my eating schedule before the pandemic, which was like a lot of the work on my body image started around like 2019. Yeah. And so I probably looked at improv around like 2018. I remember thinking, oh, I can't do that because it interferes with my eating schedule. The priorities have shifted. Oh God, so much. That is awesome. Yeah. Learning the power of yes and. It's so much fun. You show up and everybody is all awkward. And by the end, you're like, I'm a chipmunk living in a gas station in the middle of rural Nevada. Like, here's my story. It's just wild the shit that people come the up with. Okay, side note, the imagination that's required for that. I just finished a book about the science of play and how important it is, even as adults, to learn to mm. play and use our imaginations. Like, I love that so much. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for for this. This was awesome. This was so much fun. One question, and you can think about this answer later. I have been reading a book, and I'm just curious from your perspective. I'm reading a book called Regaining Body Trust. It's really interesting because it talks about undoing diet culture and reconnecting with our bodies and all of those things. But it's very, very, very anti-diet. It's very anti-changing your appearance and those things. And I like a lot of the learning to take care of your body, learning to re-listen to like the cues that your body gives you on how to take care of yourself. But I'm curious your thoughts on how do you marry the unlearning diet culture and relearning body trust and all of these pieces with like, you don't necessarily have to be anti-diet. You don't have to like hate all of those things because basically they're trying to point research to this. They're like... Yeah, there's nothing you can do to affect your body size. Like, it's all genetics. It's predetermined. It's all of these things. So, like, you do what feels good to you. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I would say I'm anti-diet in the sense of the traditional diet. Mm -hmm. But I think that, that, like, it's all gray area, right? And so anything that is on either end of the spectrum is probably something that we want to be a little bit skeptical of. I'll hear people being like, you cannot trust your hunger. We live in in an obesogenic environment. And I'm like, that's not correct. But also, if you wake up every morning and you're like, I guess I'll just eat what I feel like seeing. Like even in intuitive eating, one of the principles is gentle nutrition. So gentle nutrition, you can apply that in simply being like, I'm going to nourish my body in a way that I know feels really good. But I think also when you reach a point of like being pretty neutral with food and also noticing, hey, I might prefer my body a little bit smaller, but like I am totally fine with it if it's not. I think when someone reaches that point and you're like, hey, I'd like to approach a fat loss phase and just like see how it goes, but also not be tied to the outcome. Yeah. I don't see any problem with that. And that's, that's a conversation that I actually have with clients because they'll be like, look, I really want to lose weight. And I'm like, let's do work on body image. Let's do work on mindful eating and finding a a place of balance first. And then let's revisit this conversation because if you're still like, Hey, you know what? I'd really love to see a little bit more muscle definition, but you're also not like my self-confidence hinges on this body change. Then I don't see any problem with it with someone pursuing a body change when they have a clear understanding of this isn't affecting my self-worth at all. Yeah. No, I like that. Thank you. Yeah. It's just interesting. I don't feel like it feels like anti-taking care of yourself. I'm like, you can't just be like, oh, well, genetics determined that this is what my body looks like. So I'm just going to eat whatever yeah. I want and do whatever I want. I'm like, that's I, not. And, and here's the thing is that like, I do very firmly believe in choice where it's like, yeah. hey, if you really don't want to put a lot of thought into what you're eating and you don't necessarily want very unbiased education on like, this is a protein, this is a carb, this is a fat that feels damaging or or, like triggering to you in any way. Like, cool. That is 100% your choice. Yeah. I think here is where, and I talk a lot, like in the confident eater, I talk a lot about internal wisdom and external wisdom and finding the balance between the two of like, Hey, internally, if you do go into fat loss phase, like you're going to feel a little bit of hunger. That's your internal wisdom. And also externally, you can take into into consideration chicken breast is a lower fat protein source than salmon. Like that's in, that is information that is unbiased information. Now, can we take that information in and use it to make choices that don't make us feel like good or bad or superior or worse or whatever, then great. But I think probably this book, and this is something, this is like a theory that I have is that usually with movements, things want to swing way to the other side before settling in the middle. And so I feel like the anti-diet movement is like very heavily pushing for like, I want to snag all of the people that think that diets are killing them or whatever, but we, we don't necessarily have a really, really strong voice in the middle yet of you can care about your physical health. You can care about your nutrition. You can want to see results in the gym or whatever it is. And also not hate yourself until you see those things. Are we going to become the strong voice in the middle? Yeah, I hope so. We're going to become the strong voice in the middle. (laughs) 
I love it. I love it. Well, well I'm going to go eat my extraordinarily early dinner so that I don't get really hungry three hours into my improv class. Sounds good. But Thank you for this. It was, it was so nice to like see your face and chat with you. 